Great. Uh, thanks, Tim. Nice to see you all again. And uh, let me pray as we look at this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And as we think about it now, we pray that you would help us respond to you in love and obedience. Uh, pray that you'd help us apply this uh, passage to ourselves today for your glory and for your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, after the, <coughs> sorry, over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've seen that even in our darkest desperation, uh, God has not cast us off. We saw that in, in chapter 21. And then when it even looks like God is out of control or not in control of the situation, we saw in verse uh, chapter 22 that God is very much in complete control. And they were wonderful reassure, reassurement. Sorry, <laughs> they were wonder, a wonderful reassurement. I can't even say the word today. I'll skip it out. An encouragement to us uh, today to know those things. But the question I think we want to ask ourselves now, given that encouragement and reassurement, I got it right that time, uh, is what do we actually do in our desperation, in our suffering? What do we do in this difficult life? Do we hide and wait, perhaps sort of waiting for God to sort it out? Uh, the kind of let go and let God uh, sort of mentality that uh, you hear sometimes. Do we just do our own thing? Or do we learn and do what David and his followers do in this chapter, chapter 23? So we're going to look at three duties today. Uh, our duty in suffering, so what we should do in our suffering. Our duty towards others in their suffering. How do we help others in suffering? How do we encourage one another? And thirdly, God's duty in our suffering. So first of all, our, our duty in suffering. Now, David, we know, is on the run. He's running from his, for his life from King Saul. Uh, God sustained him and provided for him in chapter 21. He's not cast off. We've seen God in control despite the pain in chapter 22. He's now prepared then to act, not just hide. So look what he does, verse 1 of chapter 23 of our passage today. When David was told, well, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors. He inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go, attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Uh, it's impressive, isn't it? That despite his own suffering and desperation, his own very serious problems, he's ready to act to save his people. And it's impressive, I think, that he still prays. He talks to God before acting. He wants to do God's will. Uh, now, his men aren't so sure. Uh, those 400 desperate men that came to join him in the caves of Abdullam, they've now grown to 600 men, we learn in verse 13, presumably more and more people flocking to their suffering king of hope, in this, as opposed to the king of oppression, Saul. They don't want to go and save Keila. They're worried enough about their own survival, uh, let alone at the same time protecting a whole town from a whole nother enemy. So verse four, what does David do? Once again, David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him, go down to Keila. I will, I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. What a reassurance. It is to listen to the word of God, as David does here. Notice how God reminds him that it is 
I, the Lord God, who will give you victory. God's work, in other words, even in our terrible weakness and desperation in our suffering, does not rely on us, but on him. But he does still want us to obey, to be obedient. Of course, we aren't really David in this story. We're more like those 600 fearful followers of David. Not only are we desperate, perhaps in our circumstances, in our lives, perhaps in our sin, but we also have a king who suffers. For them, David, for us, Jesus, at the hands of sinful men and ultimately death on a cruel cross. But surely this is the very point of this stage of David's life being recorded for us here. A suffering king is no less likely to be victorious so long as he listens to the word of God, to the voice of God, and is perfectly obedient to God's word. That's what we see in this chapter. You may remember in the, last year as we went through the book of John, this is how Jesus used to speak. He, he kept repeating how he and the Father are one. He can only do what the Father instructs him to do. He, he cannot operate outside the obedience of, and will of God. And Jesus, too, suffered greatly, didn't he? Why would we expect anything else, really, if we read through the Old Testament and all these forerunners of Christ being shown how they suffer? Yet in Jesus's weakness, he chose perfect obedience to God, as David does here. And in doing so, he cannot avoid but be victorious. He's on God's side. So with David, verse five. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. Imagine the confidence of those 600 men that they must have received when they saw this great victory that their saviour had because of his obedience to the word of God. Imagine their great love and their admiration for their saviour who suffers as they do and yet is still able to be obedient to God and therefore victorious. Imagine the feast they now had with all those animals and the food that they'd taken as plunder. Imagine the difference in approachability that these 600 men had to their saviour, David, especially compared to the friends and uh, officials of Saul who would fling his spear about. David suffered to show the glory of God's victory. So in our weakness, then, when God's word is obeyed, he is glorified, not us. But his people are victorious. As well as that, we have a suffering king, just like David, a saviour who enables us to trust and approach him because he lived a life that suffers like us. Jesus is just that for us. Uh, think of it as Hebrews puts it uh, in Hebrews 2 uh, verse 10. We're going to Hebrews a few times because it picks up really helpfully on this idea of a suffering, obedient, victorious servant and how we can therefore relate to him. So Hebrews 2 verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, so talking about saved people, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, so it's all for God, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. 
Our salvation is made perfect through a suffering saviour. He is perfectly obedient in his suffering, and that brings us salvation. Not only that, but it is in seeing a suffering saviour that makes him approachable to us. So Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Why? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. He was perfectly obedient. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help when to help us in our time of need. So our suffering, obedient, victorious king is approachable because of his suffering and his obedience in that. And so we do approach him in faith and we find grace, help for our own suffering so that we can act in obedience to God in the same way, obedient to God's word. Our duty in suffering then is the same as it is at all other times, and that is to obey the Lord in his word. But particularly in our suffering, our obedience becomes even more Christ-like. Do you see that? In our suffering, our obedience to him becomes even more Christ-like. We're representing how Christ lived. And anytime we are Christ-like, we are also victorious in faith. Not because our problems go away, but because in our problems, we remain faithful to Jesus in obedience. That is a victory for the Christian. A victorious Christian life is one that keeps on seeking the word of God, especially in and obeying in our suffering. No wonder we read of the apostles, as we have been doing in junior church, when they're beaten and flogged by the Sanhedrin. Acts 5 verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, having been beaten and flogged, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. It's not surprising that James is able to write in chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Suffering gives us an opportunity to join with our Saviour, to be Christ-like, to find victory in our lives, because we're still able to be obedient through his grace, even in our suffering. It's an opportunity to test and prove our faith. And each time we choose obedience to God and his word, particularly in suffering, suffering, it is a great victory of faith for the glory and grace of God alone. So in our suffering, we can be assured of God's love for us. He's not cast us off. We can be assured that he is in control, knowing that he suffered first for us. And we can also trust our Saviour and obey his word, even in our suffering. Uh, I guess one final question would be, well, what is God's word? How do we know it today? We don't have prophets wandering around with ephods anymore. Uh, but I think Hebrews 
helps us again with this. We have a better access, we're told, to God's word. Hebrews 1, verse uh, 1 to 3 says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophet. So David has spoken to through the prophet, through uh, the priest with an ephod. And he spoke to them in many times and at various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. It is in Jesus, in his word, as recorded in the Bible for us by the apostles, as they tell us, that we hear the voice of God. It is in Jesus, in his word, that we can approach our suffering saviour. It is in Jesus and his word that we find grace to face the challenges and the suffering and face our call to obedience today. You see, I doubt those 600 men with David could see how obeying God's word in the situation before they did it uh, was going to make things better for them. They're on the run. They're scared. They're, they're, uh, their lives are being threatened by the king of the country. How would obeying God's word and going to save Keilah help them? They had a much better chance of surviving if they just sort of kept low and hid. But obey they did in their suffering. They trusted their saviour who was approachable because he too was like them suffering. And what did they find? They found victory. Even if it's short lived. So our duty in suffering is to obey God's word. Verse seven, though, uh, things start to change again. Uh, Saul's intelligence services report back that David is in Keilah. And so, so Saul makes a plan to attack him. And our suffering king does exactly what we should do. He does what he knows will work. And that is he prays. He spoke to God again. Have a look at verse nine of uh, chapter 23 in 1 Samuel. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to uh, Abithar the priest, bring an ephod, David said. And this is what he said. Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah sur surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. David asked, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. Not only will Saul attack if David stays there, but the very people David has just saved will hand David over to Saul. It's easy to be hard on the people of Keilah, isn't it? But I wonder how quickly we would hand over our faith in Jesus if the lives of our family and loved ones depended on it. But here we see a true saviour yet again, don't we? This saviour David will not test the people beyond what they can manage. And so David and his men leave to save themselves and to save again the people of Keilah. David's suffering is far from over. Obedience to God's word doesn't remove our suffering, as we've already thought about, even though it is the right and the victorious thing to do. But regardless of circumstances, our duty is in, uh, in suffering is to obey. 
Well, what if our suffering, uh, what if we're not particularly suffering today, but we know others that are? What, what is our duty to them? And I think uh, that's what we see next. So our duty to others suffering. Have a look at verse 16, 1 Samuel 23, verse 16. Uh, there's almost like a little interlude in the story here. So verse 16 says, And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Isn't that a nice phrase? He helped him find strength in God. That's what church is about, isn't it? For each other. For those who are lost, who don't know Jesus, we want you to stop looking for strength and salvation in the wrong places. And we want you to find strength in the only true place in God, through Jesus. And for each other who do believe, we want each other to find strength in God. And where is that strength accessed? Well, again, it's in his word. Do you see what Jonathan does? David's closest friend doesn't just pat him on the back, give him a hug and tell him everything will be all right. He does in a sense, but there's a reason for it. He reminds him of God's word, God's promise to David earlier on in his life. You will be king, he reminds him. You were anointed by the prophet Samuel. God's word has says, said this will happen and God's word does not fail. You will be king. So whatever you are going through, do not be afraid, Jonathan tells him. Uh, we were doing uh, the XTB Bible study notes for children with Zeph and Zeke the other day, and it reminded us of that phrase, do not be afraid, and that it occurs 366 times in the Bible, more than any other phrase repeated in the Bible, do not be afraid. That's one for every single day of the year, including leap years, or on the rest of the years, there's two for especially scary days. And David needed two of these on this day, didn't he? Do not be afraid. And so the message every day is very simple. Do not be afraid. Remember the word of God and trust his, his promises. I don't know the, pro the challenges that you're facing at work or at home or at school or with health. But I do know God's word to us. In Jesus, he has promised us an eternal salvation if we repent and believe, putting our trust in the approachable servant king. We are saved, even though we're not perfectly obedient, because he has done it for us. And because of that, we do not need to be afraid. We can trust his word. We can therefore be obedient to God's word and find his grace again, even in our suffering, particularly in our suffering. And so the best thing we can give others in their suffering is a reminder of God's promises to them. Again, that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews does. The words were for the, the Hebrews, but they're also for us. Hebrews 10 verse 32. Remember those early days after you received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. So remember back then, you received the truth even in your suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and, per and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered 
along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had what? A better promise. You had better and lasting possessions in eternity. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, so been obedient to him in your suffering, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. On those brilliant words, maybe note that day in Hebrews 10, 32 to 37, as a great reminder of what to do in our suffering and to support others in their suffering. Well, uh, perseverance is exactly what David needed. Uh, the tension in our next section uh, becomes uh, very high. And so thirdly, let's see what God's duty is in suffering. So we've seen our duty in suffering is to obey God's word. Our duty in others, other people's suffering is to remind them of God's word and his promises. And thirdly, then God's duty in our suffering. Uh, now, let's face it, we hopefully already know God's duty in our suffering, uh, that he will keep his promise of salvation for us. We've talked about it today. We've talked about the fact God will not cast us off in chapter 21, that he's in control in chapter 22. These are all God's duty at all times and particularly in our suffering. I have a look at verse 14, though. Here's another great duty of God's in our suffering. Verse 14, David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph, day after day, Saul searched for him. But God did not give David into his hands. God did not give David into his hands. In other words, God will not let his people fall into the enemy's hands. God will not let his people fall into the enemy's hands. And then what follows is miraculous proof, if you like, in, uh, towards the end of this chapter, verse 26. Uh, you remember Saul's spies have come and they're reporting and they, re they know all David's movements by now. That's the impression we're given as Saul approaches this valley. Verse 26, Saul was going along one side of the mountain. David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men, to capture them. It's painfully tense, isn't it? And it seems hopeless. And yet, verse 27, a messenger came to Saul saying, come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call the place Sela Hamalakoth. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. We've seen it repeatedly, haven't we? But yet again, God uses his enemies to bring about his purpose and will. David and his followers are spared. They're rescued. They are not given over to the enemy as the Philistines draw Saul away. It's a, a foretaste of Jesus on the cross, surely, isn't it? God's enemy, Satan, and a sinful humanity putting Jesus to death on the cross and it is in that very sinful act that God has planned all along to satisfy his wrath at our sin on Jesus 
not us. His people, followers of Jesus, rescued through the will of God, working out through the evil and evil aims of Satan and his people. You see, God's duty in our suffering is to deliver us safely home. The enemy can never win. The enemy can never defeat God's people. We will always be victorious. And so do not be afraid. Approach the approachable saviour. Obey his word. Receive his grace and his victory. And we'll end with a quote from Hebrews again, Hebrews 13 this time, verses 5 and 6, in a, in a section where the writer of Hebrews is calling the Hebrews to obedience, to obey, to cast off sin, to do the will of God. He says this, Hebrews 13, verse five to six because this is why we should obey because God has said never will I leave you never will I forsake you so we say with confidence the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid what can mere mortals do to me on those great words let's pray now using those words Heavenly Father, we praise you that just like David, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. The enemy will never take us. And so we say with confidence, you are our helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Thank you, Father, for you are a God of grace and help and mercy. You are a God who rescues us and calls us to obedience, who enables us to be obedient, to find victory and faith, particularly in our sufferings, as we get to partake in the suffering of Christ. Help us to obey you every day, to trust you, to trust and be built up by your promises and to build others up in your promises too. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our saviour who also suffered. Thank you that we are safe and can never lose to the enemy. Thank you for the promises you give us. And please keep us strong. Allow us not to be afraid and to obey you in every and any circumstance. For your glory and in your grace we pray. Amen. Back to Tim.